Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the return of Crowcast Weekend Wrap. Uh, our new edition uh, didn't start off too well, but never mind. Uh, we've got network problems, so there's no video. Well, there is a video feed, but no graphics, unfortunately, tonight, which is a real shame because I had some uh, rippers of one or two of our fine players uh, squibbing somewhat. Uh, and a few other choice little bits and pieces but we'll have to just uh, rely on the audio tonight and hopefully uh, things return to normal from next week joining me tonight is Nikki how are you going Nick I'm going way better than our football team is yeah yeah absolutely that's not hard Maka how are you doing mate I was going to say I could be crippled and say that I was going better than the team <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no that's I'm, I'm okay but I was I'll tell you what I really really was pissed off last night yeah well you know what i I wasn't and i'm really going to try and keep this as measured as possible tonight you guys do what you like but uh uh we're gonna this is we're gonna be in for the long haul macca and uh if we uh if 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 we get too disheartened too early, <laughs> none of us are going to make it to back to the good time. So uh, <laughs> we won't even make it till next week. That's right. Oh, Nick, uh, in terms of uh, what we actually got, I, I did tip a nine goal loss, so it wasn't much worse than that. But um, I thought we, even, you know, there's ways to have a nine goal loss, and there's ways, another way to have a nine goal loss. Oh, absolutely, that- yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Look, never mind. Uh, look, thanks to everyone who's joined us on Discord. Don't forget you can join us on Discord if you're a Discord user by using the link in our uh, Twitter feed or if you uh, if you otherwise uh, haven't got that link, you can go to aflcrowcast.com and uh, just go to the live chat page and you can go straight into our Discord channel from there. Right, uh, well, first of all, before we get into the actual uh, Crows match, what was your impression overall of the return of footy? We had a uh, canned crowd and we had uh, a few bruise-free games and a few quite tight ones. What was your overall, overall impression of round two, Nick? I only watched a couple of games because after watching that Richmond and Collingwood one, I was like, oh, great. Um Dusty Martin was very rusty. Um, I did find it hilarious um, at the end of that game where they're all talking about how low scoring it was and not attractive and all this other stuff and quite a number of the AFLW players um, kind of got on Twitter and going, which I thought was um, quite pointed in and amusing. Um, yeah, I, I think the canned audience, I, I hate it. If they're not there, don't do it. Actually, I'm happy. I'm, I'd much prefer it to actually be played in silence because I actually want to hear. For me, that was the one of the most enjoyable things about the the first round was you could actually hear what the players were saying and directions and and things like that. And it gave us a, a different look at the game. Um, in our game, we learnt that um, Talia has quite a potty mouth on him, uh, <laughs> which I was quite impressed with. Um, but overall, I'm... I wasn't that enthused to watch the other games that much. I, I watched the Brisbane um, Frio one before ours, but that was kind of about it, really. I just didn't really care. Well, um, my slightly different to you, Nikki. The first game, I actually, I, I don't mind the can noise in the background, except that the only thing is I don't get it quite right that 
you know, you can't cheer when they when they kick a point and then yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, and then no cheers when they kick a goal. That's a and um, in a way, I, I I half agree with you about uh, hearing what the players are saying, but after a while, no, I, there's nothing that beats atmosphere of a crowd, which was shown in the showdown when even when we've got. 1,500 uh, Port supporters with the same IQ as if the uh, stadium had been filled. Um, and they actually made an enormous amount of noise. And uh, uh, There was still quite a bit coming through the effects, Mike. Matt. Yeah, it wasn't, that wasn't just the crowd, Mac. No, no, no. But, they, the, but you could tell... Particularly that, the start. Uh, but you could hear the, the, uh, the cry for baller, for example, which the, the recorded music, uh, recorded sound doesn't have. Uh, coming back to the first game, I thought I, I actually thought it was boring to be honest, absolutely boring. And uh, because it was just uh, two defensive teams just kicking it end to end, and it was going from one, one half back flank to another. And I thought to myself, in a way, it's a bit of a shame that footy's come back again because I'm not really enjoying it very much. Uh, but then I watched some of the other games for the rest of the weekend and uh, the, the higher scoring games and. Uh, I did start to enjoy it. Uh, the Brisbane Lions Freo game, I thought was quite a good game to watch. Uh, Carlton and Melbourne game, I didn't think was so good. Um, I didn't get to see much of the Gold Coast uh, uh, game at all. But our game is an absolute stinker, you know. Well, so. let's run through. Let's run through those say, results. Go, Matt. Okay. Well, we go through the first game, which is Collingwood and Richmond, and that was a tie and. Uh, a boring tie. That's my opinion of that particular game, and I don't know whether people agree with that, but there were some good footballers playing there, but the, the, the style of football, if that is going to be the style of football that you saw every week, people would stop going. Honestly, they would. Look, to um, be honest, uh, Colin, I mean, it was 36 all. got tired. It was 36 all. Collingwood kicked most of their uh, score early and then just sort of hung yeah. on. A, um, look, you know... Never scored a goal from the court second quarter. No, they didn't. And, uh, you know... Oh, 4-1 in the first quarter and then uh, one goal in the second, that was it. 5-6 to 5-6 apiece. Um, look, I'm taking round two with a bit of a pinch of salt, to be honest with you, because I think it has been quite unusual for the players. They've only had a yeah. very short time to get back together and get their act together. I, I felt like both coaches actually played that game really safe. Um, you know, it was a defensive struggle and... Uh, uh, it took a while for Richmond to break free with their usual chaotic style. I think Collingwood controlled it early. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, all, all of these results, I think, are the same pretty much. I, I'm taking them. I don't think it's going to be a great form read. I think it's just going to be indicative of of teams and, and players getting back into it. We had, uh, on Friday night, we had Geelong giving Hawthorne an absolute touch-up. Hawthorne didn't really turn up after half-time. Uh Geelong running away with it, 17-6 to 7-5. Uh, so we'll set a 61-point win in the end. Hawthorne only kicking uh, kicking one goal after, uh, yeah, one goal after half-time. Uh, so yeah. that's that's not Hawthorne. Um, no, but also that just showed the massive advantage that when they played Alphabet Stadium down there, Geelong, you know, it's uh, <laughs> a massive advantage. Oh, I think I it is. Nick, what do you reckon? I reckon it I reckon it actually is a huge advantage for Geelong and it's going to oh, see them go deep this year, I think. Yes. I'm sorry, I just had to laugh at him calling it Alphabet Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I I have st- I I mean, we went over there, we did um the Science Alive over there. It was actually held at um GM 
GMBHA Stadium. And it is so bloody cold and such a wind tunnel. It It's a horrendous place to be at, let alone try and play at. And we've, we've seen what a massive – they talk about um, like West Coast or us or Port having a home ground advantage, but we don't have – it, that's not as much a home ground advantage, I don't think, as Geelong because a lot more teams come and play at our stadiums than you get teams that actually do play at Geelong. I mean, when was the last time Hawthorne were actually down there? 2006, Nikki. Yeah. Well, that goes to show you uh, kind of just what it is and, and how much of an advantage it is for them. Yeah, and then the Hawks didn't really handle it too well. Um I do think, though, um, while I do agree with Fiend that the, you can't take these games as being 100% indicative of what the year's going to be like, Looking, casting your eye over Hawthorne, I don't, I don't think they're, going, they're not a flag consideration this year. I think they're going to be no. one of those teams that uh, yeah, could, might beat you on any one particular day or they may lose on any particular day, but they'll you know, be there and there about, but not, not a, they're not a flag chance. They're in a rebuild like we are. Yeah, sort pretty of. much, pretty much. Um, look, what else uh, we had? Uh, the next game was Brisbane and Fremantle. Entertaining, I thought. Um, yeah, it was. I thought, Good game, that one. Yeah, I thought uh, Fremantle might sneak it, actually. Uh, and uh, a couple of blokes, well, one in particular, young Jared Lyons, just continuing to make every post a winner at his latest home. 17 disposals, 8 tackles. Uh, thanks for nothing. Except for the reversal free. Oh, that yeah. Along with another ex-crow in Charlie Cameron. Yeah, well, Cameron's the other one, isn't he? But, uh, oh, I really do. <laughs> Jared Lyons pisses me off. Well, he doesn't piss me off. The circumstances piss me off. We had a bargain basement midfielder there who uh, who uh, could have been quite serviceable for us under current circumstances, and unfortunately we don't have him. Anyway, uh, so Brisbane going well. Uh, Fremantle put it, made a good account of themselves, though, I thought. Um, Carlton Melbourne didn't see the game, but uh, Melbourne getting up by a point in the end. Carlton making a late run, three goals, five in the last quarter to a, to a single point, uh, but Melbourne hanging on to Melbourne win there. Melbourne got the first seven goals. Yes. They got the first seven. Yep. So, you know, if that had been, if been a 20-minute quarter job uh, each for the whole game, I've no doubt Carlton would have beaten Melbourne. Well, they could have kicked more goals, Melbourne, in the first half. Mac, you never know. <laughs> it's academic, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Gold Coast uh, having a very, very good win over West Coast, and I'm tipping it right now. Gold Coast will not be cellar dwellers this year. Uh, I know circumstances, etc., etc., but uh, um, they are a team full of talent, and uh, I just I think they might even squeak into the bottom half of the eight this year. What do you guys reckon? Well, I definitely. think they've definitely got masses of talent. There's no doubt about that. They've probably got more natural talent in their team at the at the young end of, of the of the team than uh, any, any other team will they have. And uh, as that as it uh, sort of matures as the season goes on, I mean, not that the two boys they picked up at the the last draft need much maturity. They both absolutely shone. In it. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Fiend. I think they're going to be definitely going to rise up the ladder. They might even just sneak into the bottom part of the eight. Yeah, I and I I went a year early on Gold Coast. I actually thought last year they might sneak up, but uh, I, I've been watching them for a while. Their their list is fine. They just needed games. 
Yeah. Yep. And and that's what we talked about last year, Fee, that what people didn't take into account was that amount, massive amount of travelling they had at the start of the year, yep. which for young bots, that really takes it out of them. And we saw them peter out by kind of they peaked just after um, halfway through the year. Now, the fact that we're having the first five rounds or four rounds, they get to stay home. I think it's going to be a massive, massive mm. help for them. And for me, what stood out was the fact that, yes, Anderson and Rao are amazing, amazing talents, but guess what? We actually played those blo- They played those blokes where they're supposed to be played, not on the half-forward line. No. We'll get to that, Nick. <laughs> we'll get to that, Nick. Uh, of course, yeah, no. just Gold Coast getting up uh, by seven and a bit goals. Uh, another expat having a very good game. 20 posies, Huey Greenwood. Um, yeah. 20 posies in a stacked midfield, uh, including 14 contested possessions, if you don't mind. And unusually, unusually, Nicky, for Hugh, 401 metres gained. Oh, funny how second, it's actually played in yeah, a certain way. Yeah, second highest for the team. Uh, and Pierce Hanley was the other one who runs off half-back. So uh, 401 metres game for an inside ball. Hugh Greenwood with 14 contested possessions. Only had five uncontested possessions and still had 401 metres gained, if you don't mind. Very good. But, you know, it wasn't good enough to stay on our list. Uh, GWS and North Melbourne. North Melbourne having a good win over GWS. Um, that one finished this afternoon. 12 goals, yeah. eight, 80 to 8 goals, 12-60. Yeah, watch that game. And um, North Adelaide, uh, North, Adelaide, North Melbourne, uh, they, they probably played as well as they're going to play for, for the year. They, you know, some sides come after a break, you know, uh, able to hop into it straight away. I thought the, the Giants just looked like a spluttering uh, shadow of the machine that they can be at their very, very best. And, uh, you know, they had various shots of the coach there in exasperation because they just couldn't get their game going. I mean, they, they, they fought pretty well. But North Melbourne, uh, they are a mob of... Uh, they've got a couple of good players in, and, and I thought that they really get, applied themselves very well. And they earned their win. They just earned it through sheer effort. That's... Something our boys perhaps might watch it, have a look and see how hard they try. <laughs> uh, and then later on this afternoon, we had the Bombers. Uh, that This was an entertaining game, Essendon versus Sydney, I thought. Uh, and another expat getting Essendon over the line, Sean McKernan. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how all these rejects are going all right. Uh, the Bombers, the yeah, Bombers getting up by uh, a goal in the end, 12-7 to 11-7, with McKernan kicking a nice... 55-metre bomb towards the end there to put them seven points up. Um, but I, I actually enjoyed watching that game. Pardon? How, how do you see these teams? I don't, I don't think either of these two are going to be in the uh, premiership consideration. No, I don't think so. Um, Sydney, uh, I think, are struggling. Adelaide probably flattered them uh, in round one, albeit a while back now. Um, but given our form line and, and where we know our list is at... Um, their win over us wasn't terribly impressive, and I don't see Essendon being far enough advanced to be called a top four team, even though they're sitting third on the ladder at the moment. So uh, I, I think Essendon are slowly on the rise, uh, Sydney slowly on the decline. But uh, I tell you what, their old stage midfielders still know how to put it together. Lukey Parker had a good game again. Um, He's a beauty. You know, He's a real beauty. They do boy. not 
they do not get let down very often by their midfield, Sydney. No. And, and in the last games they have been, uh, St Kilda are giving the Bulldogs a walloping. An absolute, an absolute touch-up yeah. at the moment, yeah. 12-3, uh, St Kilda 75, Western Bulldogs 5-6-36. That's uh, towards the end of the third quarter, so... Um, Looks like St Kilda are going to run away with that one. And the Bulldogs, um, if they lose this game, they'll actually be the only team holding us from the bottom of the ladder, which is very surprising. I, I was about to say that I'm very disappointed in Bulldogs because that spoon is ours. They, they're not <laughs> interfere with it. <laughs> Priorities. We want that number one draft pick uh. this year because... No, we're going to be that shit house. We deserve it. And look, and look, you other teams win a few games here and then just leave us be. Yeah. No, well, look, let's look at the ladder. It's only round two and uh, really it's round one huh? because uh, of the break. We have uh, the power, the 297-year-old Port Adelaide Football Club on top with uh, two wins, along with the Kangaroos and the Bombers undefeated on two wins. Uh, Collingwood, Richmond, Geelong, GWS and Sydney along with the Suns, the Lions, the Eagles, the Hawks and the Demons all on one win. Uh, Saints about to open their account. Uh, Dockers winless although playing reasonably well. Um, Carlton also you could probably put that in the same category. And then uh, us and the Bulldogs are probably where we deserve to be at the moment. I can't actually believe that the Bulldogs are sitting on 40%. It's unbelievable. Um yeah, get, lift your game, Bulldogs. <laughs> so, look, that, that's how it sits. Um, just before we move on to the Crows game, just for those that are listening, don't forget that usually the weekend wrap will be uh, live streamed with video, uh, but uh, I'm actually running this tethered to my mobile phone tonight uh, due to some network issues, so uh, hopefully the audio's crisp enough, um, but I didn't, want, didn't dare actually um, try and stream any video tonight so we are streaming audio onto youtube and facebook um and next week uh, all things being well we'll be back to our proper video feed on those platforms you can listen or view on those platforms or else go to aflcrowcast.com right now the bit that we're all here for adelaide v port adelaide uh showdown what was it 48 um and port adelaide 17 goals, 810. Adelaide, 5 goals, 535. A lazy margin of 75 points. Um, Maka, go. Well, we started off in, in the first 10 minutes of the game, I thought we were going to be competitive. And uh, and we were competitive for the first, we got the first, if I remember correctly, we got the, the first couple of goals of the game. And uh, at that stage... Um, I thought the endeavour around the ground was reasonably good. But I actually tweeted at that point, hello, we've turned up, and I don't reckon we kicked another goal for an hour and a half. <laughs> you're bloody, oh, you're, you're, you're bloody tweet. We're going to blame that. But, yeah, and, well, perhaps your tweet was uh, a sign. The boys, because they, they just threw in the towel, really. I, when I, I don't think they threw in the towel, Mac. What just huh. switched on. You there, Maka? <laughs> Hello? Yeah, there you are. You're back again. You just dropped out there right. for a minute. Okay. Um, no, I did tip them to lose by nine goals, but um, I did think, you know, we'd, we'd probably fight out 
maybe two, two and a half quarters of the game and then get run over. But um, to get start getting run over from about halfway through the second quarter, uh, first quarter, sorry, wasn't really good enough. And, you know, later we'll be doing an analysis of the, the individual players. And we were talking off air before the game and I could only give four uh, players a pass. And there's probably one other I've thought of since that I could probably give a pass to. So maybe five at best. And that's when you've got 22 players, that's not particularly good. So uh, I just think that too many players, uh, okay, they might not be the best player around, but they can they can certainly do more than they're doing. I don't think we were competitive. Well, we weren't physically competitive enough, except for Foggy, who loves a fight. He, he did very well on those. Um, and he ruined a few jumpers, but um, and didn't touch the ball a lot. Um, Nick, what were so your I, thoughts? I, I, I was disappointed, really disappointed. Um, I kind of can't say too much about the forward line because they didn't get a lot of opportunities. And for me, it mainly came down to one selection choice, which as much as it was nice to see Ben Keys get a game, I don't think he was the right one to come in because – what it meant was they put him in the midfield rotation and left Chase Jones out. And I don't mind taking a loss if it's going to advantage our young guys getting experience that they need to. And the one young guy we need to get experience in the midfield is Chase Jones, who provides speed and they persist in leaving him on the half-forward line. We... Lost it in that it was the coaching there. Um, there were a couple of players who know one in particular. I would be very happy for him to be dropped for Gibbs because at least Gibbs kind of remembers what football is. Because Wayne Miller had no idea what he was doing out there on the field. And he's done this before. I've seen him in a couple of games. He did it last year. That he's standing near a player who's got the ball, about to get tackled, and they handball it to him, and he's not paying attention. He's got no idea what's going on around him. Um, so, yeah, I for me, I, I'm actually more upset with what we were promised we were going to see from that rebuild and about young players coming in, etc., and that's on the coaching staff. Well, we haven't got much of a coaching staff. Well, I think I know, but still, to a degree, I think that's right, Nick. Um, but when you actually look at um, who's missing and and who the options are uh, in terms of midfield, the cupboard's pretty bare. Um, the the problem yeah, the problem in picking a guy like Keys is that it just makes us. Too one-dimensional. I mean, Keys is a, a, a bullocking type of player. He's not a player of finesse. Um, and you could put Crouch Brothers in that category as well. You could probably really put Rory Sloan in that category as well. Yeah. Which means that all of a sudden we're, we're a very one-dimensional, one-dimensional midfield. Um, and, you know, when you add in uh, players not turning up, and having any appetite for the contest, uh, with that we just cooked. Look, my my biggest gripe was the senior players, and I think uh, what we what we have at the moment is a very interesting um, list profile. In that, 
most of the senior players on our list now probably realise that they're never ever going to play in an AFL Premiership with Adelaide because of their age and where we're at in terms of our squad development. So when you're asking blokes like um, Seedsman and uh, Brody Smith and Rory Sloan and uh, even uh, guys like Laird um, and Tex, obviously, and Daniel Talia, although I thought he was okay, when you're asking those senior blokes to turn up and contribute, it takes a bit of character for those blokes to have enough, uh, I guess, pride in their performance to perform even if in the back of their minds, and probably has been the case since early last year, they know full well that they are never going to play in an AFL Premiership. So that leaves us with a group of young players who are very green because they haven't been blooded to any great degree over the last two or three years. Very green in a, in a, in a squad or in a team where the seniors, I wouldn't say they've necessarily checked out, but I don't think they've bought in. And it was very interesting to hear Matty Nix's um, presser where he used the words buy-in. Um, and for, for our development to go at any sort of acceptable pace... Those senior players are going to have to buy in. They're going to have to leave behind their aspirations of an AFL premiership. And they've got a choice to make. And I wrote this on Big Footy today. They've got a choice to make. They either, you know, their legacy in AFL is either, you know, some failed opportunities or missed opportunities and they just sort of fade into obscurity. Or they've got the opportunity to play one or two seasons for the for the Adelaide Football Club where they really nurture and mentor these young kids and at least leave a positive uh, legacy uh, for their time at the club. And I don't know whether too many, I can only think of Sloan and Talia, that I feel have the character to be able to do that. Sloan and Talia definitely do have that. Um, I'd I'd say uh, Laird and Brown do uh, have that type of character. Um, I'm starting a battle after that. Uh, Rob O'Brien, he's not... I wouldn't call him a senior player yet. Um, no, he's young. He's young. Tex looks like he's just about done. Um, I don't think Tex will be in the team by the end of the season, Maka. No. And uh, I saw where somebody posted, it might have been there, but um, Valley Magic. One, one of many have posted that uh, Lynch was in our best and our worst, and that's probably a very good thing because... I thought he tried really hard to get the ball, but, gee, he's just... Oh, Maka, we just get the same from Lynchy all the time. We get a lot of hard work yep. uh, for not a lot of positive output. No, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. So I, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not going to accuse him of, uh, of throwing in the towel and not putting in 100%, but it's what happens after he gets the ball yeah. with his coach. Yeah. And I, so we're, I think we're a mixture of a mess, really. It's It's a... I think you're right about some of the some of the senior players. In fact, quite a few of the senior players um, just going through motions, and I don't really understand that. Because no, I don't think they're going yeah. through motions, Macca. I think I didn't. I didn't. I agreed with Matthew Nix's presser. I didn't see a lack of effort. What I saw was a lack of being switched on. You know, there's the, you can run around and run your fifteen k's and come off the field buggered and and really have not played a good game. What I what I saw from the Crouch boys and um, blokes like Lynch, uh, they weren't actually thinking about the game. They were just they were just running. They were like they were 
choosing when to run. They were running to try and be busy, but there wasn't any method in what they were doing. And I think, they again... Running, sorry, I was going to say, they weren't running to block up the space. No, no. They were just running to look like they were making an effort. Well, they were chasing. And the way we were playing with numbers behind the ball, so many times we had so much behind the ball that the ball would get cleared out and Texas would have to do a mongrel punt into the forward 50 because we were all like one and a half of the ground. But the issue with that <coughs> is that coming the other way, our midfielders weren't getting into position to actually clog up Port's run, you know, when they, when they, had, when they were transitioning off our half-back line. So it was just a procession. Um, and that's laziness, but it's also a lack of being switched on. And I'm sure, I'm sure these blokes know where they need to run when the ball's in transition with the opposition. And yet, too many times I saw blokes chasing, like Brad and Matt Crouch in particular, chasing to areas where they should have actually been stationed, where they should have been standing. And I think yeah, that's that's, that's a big problem. Yeah, and I, I have no argument with that because, um, you know, when you, when you play in midfield, you've got to be able to run both ways. And uh, that doesn't mean chase both ways. That means... Uh, be with the player that you're supposed to be standing all, all the time. Or to the uh, area not- of the ground. The, these days, there's, you know, a mixture of man-on-man and zone defence. And, you know, generally speaking, teams will be drilled into into what sort of formation and what, what areas of the ground they need to be in during certain passages of play. And certainly when Port were transitioning off half-back, there was not enough effort by our midfielders and our players behind the ball to get into those areas to clog up space. And the <laughs> amount the amount of ball that Port got through the corridor compared to... I, I can't remember us actually running through the corridor. Maybe once or twice and that's about it and it was probably just an accident. We in, No, in the first couple of minutes we were. Those first 10 minutes we were actually... There was some movement down the middle yeah but as the game progressed port absolutely owned the corridor the amount of times we went all the way to bloody king william street to try and get through because again there wasn't enough run to actually cut through ports um ports defensive setup so we had to go around them and port did very well in in making us do that but by the same token we we weren't making enough effort to cut through there was none of those little diagonal chip kicks uh, was very up and down the line, blind kicks, etc., etc., um, and I put that on our senior players. Our senior players have been in the system, and I'll include Wayne Miller in that because he's been in the system long enough. But our senior players have been in the system long enough; they should know how to how to football. And to me, it wasn't so much a lack of. They would have all been buggered at the end of the game, but I don't think many of them were actually mentally switched on to execute Nix's game plan. Now, the other thing is that uh, Ken Hinkley did have a, a little bit of a cunning ploy there. He he got Dixon to stay around the goal square, which made made Talia stay back there, which uh, also created a, a, a fair bit of space in front. And uh, therefore, they often kicked the ball into open areas a little bit a la Richmond and ran onto it because our blokes, uh, the Crouches, etc., don't chase very hard which is one of the reasons why they often just were taking the ball on a poke. Well, I felt they, they were very smart in going through Mackesy. They backed Todd Marshall in, and I thought Todd Marshall played really well. Um, and Mackesy looked a little bit at sea in the one-on-one body contest, uh, clearly still a bit light. 
<coughs> Pardon me. Uh, clearly yeah. still a bit light, first-year player, etc. So, you know, we'll let him off for that. Not that Todd Marshall's a bull, but he's been in the system a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and I actually felt when Mackesy went forward, um, he got into some good positions. I Personally, I prefer him as a forward. It's going to be very interesting to see how they develop him. Um, but, you know, so, so Port did, particularly early on, they went through Marshall uh, to really good effect and kept Talia out of the play, like you said, um, Mac. Um, you know, but there was a couple of other blokes that got off the chain for them. Bloody Travis Boak gave uh, our midfield an absolute bath, particularly in the first half. Stevie Motloff ran around like an unregistered dog. Now, he hasn't played a game like that for about three bloody years. Um, no, he only... You know, he plays those games only against us. Yeah, because we don't make him accountable. We don't Correct. make Stevie Motloff... Stevie Motloff is, the, is, is a wonderfully talented player, don't get me wrong, but he's a lazy footballer. I think even even the most die-hard Port Adelaide supporter would admit that. Um so all you got to do is make Motlop accountable and play him close. And we didn't have anyone really willing um, to play him close. And as a result, he just knocked up getting the ball and uh, made the most of it. You know, 24 posies for Stevie Motlop is a is a, a hark back to his halcyon days at Geelong. He hasn't play, played too many games like that at Port. You mentioned Travis Bates. that's partly before. also the, the loss of Kelly. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't help at all. But I was just going to say you mentioned Travis Boak there before, and I, I'm actually quite an admirer of Travis Boak because mm. um, Travis Boak is, I wouldn't say he's the most skilled footballer in the AFL, but he's one of the best footballers in the AFL because you, you, when you're talking about really buying into the game, he is a player that really does buy in, doesn't he? He buys in wanting to win, and uh, he's he, he gives 110% if that's possible for his team, and... Uh, uh, I, I actually admire him as a person and as an individual. He's a clean-cut bloke who played bloody good football. And, uh, yeah, I just wish we'd had a few players that played like he did. Well, I'm not going to harp on this, um, but they I don't know how many of our listeners and, and you guys watched that little Port Adelaide special that they had on after the showdown. Um, I, I actually yeah. sat and watched it, um, and I thought it was quite interesting. And what I what I found interesting, uh, not having ever been involved in the Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide Football Club or uh, had any like for them whatsoever, uh, the the common themes that um, the players and the past players that they interviewed had with regards to non negotiables and accountability and expectations of the club, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Travis Boak was interviewed and he he echoed those sentiments and said, you know, he didn't know much about the Port Adelaide Football Club when he came on board as an 18-year-old. Um, but he was soon left in no doubt as to what the club represented. Now, you know, like him or hate him, that's not the point. But the simple fact is that Travis Spoke obviously has a lot of integrity and is obviously a, a, a strong club man. And to see him running around at his age and burning off blokes like Brad Crouch, to still have that leg speed at his age and maturity... Uh, and to be able to influence games like he has um, after he'd almost been written off by Port Adelaide. Don't forget, he'd been shifted out of the midfield a couple of years Three ago. Years. Three yeah. years they wasted him on the half-forward flank. Yep, almost written off. And he had the opportunity to go back to Geelong and he didn't. 
um, and he's rewarding him now, but he's also, uh, I think, getting just rewards for his own efforts and integrity. So I'm a massive, massive fan of Travis Boker. I think he's an excellent player and an excellent club man. 100% agreement there, Fink. Um, look, let's go through some head-to-heads, shall we? Not that it really means a hell of a lot, but we got absolutely pummeled uh, in disposals, uh, 104 disparity, uh, mainly in kicks. I mean, how how can you have how can you have a disparity of you know 90 odd kicks and uh, what's that 66 odd marks? That is that is total dominance. It, t- and it also is a very, very clear reflection of ball usage as well. I mean, well, yeah. It, but it, it, sh- it shows, Macca, that we weren't willing to run because there's no way, there's no way that one team should have that much uncontested possession. Well, very clearly that's correct. Uh, and, you know, they're, and they're running into open spaces because, A, um, as you said, our players aren't in the right spot in the first place and, secondly, they're not working hard enough to get there. So... Um, look, I think I thought Nick summed it up pretty well with these comments after the game. It was only about a, a one on one and a half liner, but it, it it did say a lot, didn't it? That that Bruce free footy and didn't buy in. Well, what is there left after that? Yeah. What What do you think of Nick's presser, Nick? Haven't seen it. Oh, so it basically, I, I thought it was very measured, Matt, because I felt like he's walking a very tight line between going too hard too early and losing his senior group and he needs right. his he needs his senior group so um he can't he can't smash them but i i felt like he delivered a message that was very clear to the senior group in terms of commitment and work rate and buy in and um you know appetite for the contest um I don't think there was a senior... There couldn't have been a senior player on our list that didn't hear Nix's comments uh, delivered in a fairly terse tone um, and think to themselves, yeah, shit, we've actually got to put in. Another thing that really... really, I was really annoyed after the game when I was was reflecting going back to the draft uh, in the the year that... uh, Rosie and Butters and uh, Dersma were, were drafted. Before trading of draft picks, et cetera, took place, et cetera, we, we were in the van. We had uh, every draft pick we had was in a better position than Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide were prepared to get rid of players they knew would never get, players that were regarded as good players, but they knew would never get them to a grand final. And they actually traded out to players who were regarded as very good players and got tr- uh, good draft picks and then they worked themselves into a better position than us. And when I looked at the fact that we got Jones and McHenry and what they got, yet we, we started off in a better position, I, I made me very angry with the club for, yeah. for, well, for, for their incompetence yeah. in allowing that to happen. Yeah. Well, I, I want to stick to the game just for now, uh, Macca, but we will have some with slightly expanding weekend wrap now that Tuesday Night Live is... Uh, dropped off. So I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about that afterwards um, because I think you're spot on. I think there's a bit to be investigated over over our drafting strategies over the last few years. Um, but look, let's keep going through the head-to-head stats at the moment and surprisingly, regardless, regardless, regardless of the fact that we hardly had the ball, we lost the tackle count by 16 as well, um, which was disappointing. 
Um, surprisingly, Willis hit out 30 to 40. I, although, I, and we'll get to individuals shortly, but I thought Riley O'Brien pantsed uh, Lysa around the ground. Um, so Port might have won the hit out count, but I thought Riley O'Brien was the best big man on the ground or best ruckman on the ground. Came out with a tick for me. Yeah, I think so. Um, look, our conversion rate was shocking, not that it really mattered. Clearances, not too much of a disparity, 39 to 31, although the effectiveness of those clearances was chalk and cheese and it's a real shame because I had three or four little bits of footage that I wanted to go through with regards to how we moved the ball out of stoppage compared to how Port Adelaide did and the big thing Mac uh, that I noticed um, and I, as I said I, we may actually devote five minutes just to having a look at this footage uh, next week but the good, the good midfields, when, when they get the ball, they have an explosive five steps and it often allows yeah. them to get free or at least get hands free and to be able to create and to spread out of that, uh, out of that um, stoppage area, that congested area, to be able to clear out uh, with decisive handball and actually get a run on. I don't think I've actually seen the Adelaide Crows midfield do that for maybe three, four years, and it was particularly evident on um, Saturday night. At no stage did we ever have people on the move or on the run when they received the ball either from a tap or from a a close-in handball. Everyone was flat-footed. Every handball was panicked. There was no constructive handball out of that stoppage work. It was all panic, hot potato handball. And as a consequence... We were never able to clear the ball with any sort of uh, method. It, the only thing that we were able to do was bang the ball on the boot down the line. Whereas when you look at Port's work out of out of stoppage, uh, they did very well. They um, they put in a couple of quick steps early to get outside of the contest, and then their first give was often a fifteen metre handball to the back or to the side of the congestion, um, and. And it allowed them to actually get off and run. And because our because our running players were tending to get sucked into the contest, like Brody Smith and Paul Seisman and those boats were, were getting drawn into the contest, Port were able to expose us outside really well. But it was all because of their first and second gives out of those congested situations. Uh, that's a very good summary, Fane. Uh, and it's exactly uh, correct too. Because And the two, the two players that you mentioned who were... Uh, given midfield moments, because they were supposed to be the running players and in doing the very things you would want us to do, which is to you know, give it to them, they break away. They, they, they quite right. You're quite right about them. They, they got drawn into the contest as well, and instead of just being out there as uh, disposers of the ball and, and quick disposers of the ball, in fact, um, I don't think they handled the ball overly much at all. To, to, to be honest, not really. Yeah. Um, if I remember rightly, Seeds had about 10 disposals or something like that. Uh, and, uh, oh, Seedsman had 11, but he, I think his first five or six disposals were handballs and they were all panicked. Yeah, and, uh, he, I thought he was very poor, actually. And I thought Smith was poor as well. Nick, are you still with us? Yeah, I am. I, <laughs> you're all speaking truth. <laughs> I've got nothing to add. I mean, Seedsman, once... We put him in the back lines on Motlop because we just couldn't get anything out of him on the wing. No. No. Uh, 
you know, and uh, reading into our what I was saying earlier, Brad Crouch's uh, disposal efficiency was 44%. When you consider that uh, Brad Crouch, most of Brad Crouch's disposals were no less than 30 metres and often were five-metre handballs, to have a disposal efficiency rate of 44% is ridiculous. Matty Crouch at 65.4 was not much better. Uh, and... Brad Crouch, metres gained for the game, 154. Matt Crouch, 293. We didn't have a midfielder on the ground that broke 300. And surprisingly, our best midfielder in terms of metres gained was Chase Jones, who paid five minutes there and had 294 metres gained. Now, that just shows you that Matt and Brad Crouch cannot break free of contests in order to use the ball effectively. They are useless when it comes to being together in that congested space because they are both flat-footed and they they lack composure in close. They've lost that ability to take stock and to move laterally to give themselves a moment to be able to use the ball not only effectively but also aggressively. Well- they look to each other too much. Quite simply, I do not want to see those two ever in the same midfield together. Ever. Well, I think I think you're on the onto something there in the, in the sense that um, both of them are, are good ball getters, uh, but they are always usually getting the ball under pressure. And and uh, as Fiend said, if you only just if you do a blind kick forward, well, nine times out of ten, it's going to go to the opposition. Uh, the best breakaways from the middle. Uh, unless you've got one of those uh, beautiful things like Grundy does, put a, a running player running through, that doesn't happen very often. It, the best ones are where you actually get somebody like a Crouch wins the ball and fires a handball out to a running player like Jones who can actually accelerate from the pack and then do something with the ball. Um, so you're quite right, Mickey. Uh, Nicky, sorry. Um, I was thinking the mix is bad when you've got two Crouches and perhaps a Sloan in the middle. It's just there isn't enough dash in there. And you're always going to have, even if we win the ball, you're generally going to have a poor disposal going forward. Yeah, 100%, Mac, 100%. And the problem is that those two boys, you're right, they do look for each other, um, Nick. And it's generally um, Matt or Brad hanging off the back. And they don't, again, they don't have the ability to put in an explosive five steps to actually get free and give the ball laterally to a running player. So what ends up happening is that they just kick around the body and the ball comes back over their head. Um, That's a blind kick. Yeah, yeah, it happened so many times. And But the other thing too, I, I feel like within our midfield rotation, and maybe maybe I'm reading too much into this Macker and I'll defer to your more experience on this one, but to me... Every one of our midfielders is a designated receiver of a tap. And to my way of thinking, that shouldn't be the case. When you've got a, when you've got a, a group of three um, around a ruckman in, in a centre stoppage, for example, you, you should have a defensive and attacking midfielder, but you should also have a, a, a sweeping midfielder as well. So you've got a bloke covering the loss of the tap, you've got a bloke covering the win of the tap, but you've also got a bloke that is trying to read the, where the tap's going to go and either be defensive support or 
um, attacking support. We don't seem to have that sort of a setup. I never. That's what I've been critical of throughout the last three years. That um, that our, our midfield structures are so poor. Because what you said is right. You know, ha- having played midfield, and that's what uh, was what I played. Is that, and generally I was the one that was because I had pace out of the uh, out of the centre. I was the one that was the receiver. So I either got it running through, or one of the other uh, bullet king ones, either defensive or attacking, would get it out to me. Um, and we don't seem to have that. Well, we don't seem to have the personnel and we don't seem to have the structure. No. Even when we do it, and the rare times we have the right personnel in there, we still don't seem to have the right structure. And I, I, I keep getting very frustrated when I look at midfield because I keep thinking to myself, the best we can do out of this is a blind kick out the centre. Yeah, a nil or um, draw, basically. Yeah, yeah. And whereas when you get, when, you know, the right structures are, sometimes you, you, even get a, you even put a third one back a fair bit on the defensive side so that the you know the guy that, that like a Brad Crouch grovelling for the ball on the ground can just fire out a, a you know a ten, almost a five to ten meter handball back to him, and he's got you know the whole uh, vision ahead of himself to pick out somebody with the ball. Well, so, and it's, see, it's not only that too, Macca. That that sort of structure needs to be fluid. So, just it's not a case of them saying, "All right, Brad, you're going to get the tap, and Matt, you're going to defend the tap, and Sloane, you're going to be the swingman." That's not how it works. It should be a fluid situation where each of those midfielders know what role they need to play depending on where the ball goes. So Brad might be on the attacking side, but if the if the ball goes to the defensive side, then he all of a sudden becomes a sweeping midfielder. You know? Correct. But what I see too much is our midfielders they will they will they will get to the con like in a centre ruck contest they will move in, they will prop and try to get body. And then if the ball doesn't come to their side, they will ball watch. They will they will not, literally not move. They will ball watch, which means that their opponent, and we highlighted this last year, um, who I think it was Brad Crouch versus um, Dangerfield, where Brad Crouch was caught 20 metres behind because he was watching the ball flat-footed while Danger was off getting a, getting a possession on the wing. And that's what our midfielders seem to do. They don't seem to understand that their role changes depending on the circumstances in those stoppage situations. It, if it doesn't come straight to them, they're not. They don't move. They stand flat-footed and watch the play, and then watch their opponent run off. And that's one of the key issues I've got with the way that our midfielders worked for the last I don't know how many bloody years. It's just well, not dynamic enough. Certainly, uh, eighteen. Uh... Yeah, eighteen, nineteen, and this year, or the two games this year, um, I, I, I just am startled by some of our centre uh, structures and the, the the makeup of the players we have in there. You, you just know it's not going to work. Yeah. Nick, you also just wrote something on chat. I'd like you to repeat it to about CY and Greenwood. I said they they know how to create space for themselves, um, so that they can dispose of. It neatly and, and not a kick and hope, which is the only thing the Crouchers know how to do. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point as well because as well as being able to create space, what they were able to do is, is absorb pressure. How many times would we see um, Greenwood or CEY stand up in a tackle or stand up under pressure with the hands free? And what that does, it draws opponents to them, which then allows us to dish on the outside. And it's what opposition teams do to us regularly 
they we we are we don't shut down the 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 opponent receivers we get uh, drawn into the contest and then they were able to dish out on the outside and that was the value of the big bodies of Ellis Yeoman and Greenwood and neither of the Crouch boys and we're not saying they're not tough inside players because they are but they don't have the physical body strength and size to be able to absorb that physical pressure to free up other people within that you know situation um, and I think. We're sadly exposed for for a lack of big-bodied midfielder, and I, I for one, and was very disappointed when we got rid of both Cy and Greenwood, um, because I think both we could have benefited from keeping both of them, but I thought we at least needed to keep one of them. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we, I don't think we could really have afforded to keep both, uh, because otherwise you've just got too many slow players in the middle. But um, Greenwood is the one I would have liked to get because of the fact that uh, he also can uh, be useful up forward and he, he also was a left footer. And he also had this ability, as, when he's being tackled, he'd always hold the ball above his head and which always gave him the opportunity to handball the ball off. So he, he's the one I would have liked to have kept. Yeah, we'll see why it was it's, very similar to that. <clears throat> yeah, he's very uh, he's very much. Um, I really, really loved Cam. Um, the, the fact that it, it wasn't just that they could hold it above their head is it's the their size allowed them to do it, but they were also looking. They yep. weren't panicking under pressure. They knew a player was coming out and they're being tackled. It's like, yeah, you, you could do that for a little bit. I just need to check where my teammates are. Very good point. Very good point. And Both of them were very panic. good and very composed under those circumstances. Greenwood would have been heavily assisted by his basketball background because it does teach composure. Yep. Um, yeah. And Greenwood just had, uh, sorry, Ellis Yeoman just had the physical size to be able to stay upright under those circumstances long enough to be able to uh, spot um, an option. Well, to, to me, it was it was very obvious because the other player, like what you would consider um, in that very similar the Greenwood mould, but is a much, much better player, is, of course, um, Pendlebury. Yes. And his, that ability to make safe. But also watching them, even though, yes, okay, that Thursday night game was a bit of a stinker, but what it showed to me was just what an absolute footballer side bottom is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, oh, yeah, he's a beauty. He's an absolute oh, beauty. Absolutely. I actually think he was much – he actually showed he's more of a natural footballer than Dustin Martin is. And – he has that same kind of ability of he doesn't panic. He takes that time and that composure. And unfortunately, that's the problem with who we've got, who we keep putting in the midfield and who we, oh, we're getting smashed, we're getting smashed, we have to put them in. You know what? I absolutely loved the fact that when we put Fogg in the middle to ruck, he didn't do a bad job of that. But what he does is he becomes an extra midfielder and he is that right size big body, he gave away a free because, you know, that's what he's going to do every so often. But I I want to see Fogg in the midfield a little bit more. Um, we we did see an example in the second quarter of a Port player who when Fogg was running at him, he absolutely shat his pants and got rid of that ball so fast over the line because yeah. he didn't want to get tackled by Fogg. Now, um, speaking of shitting the pants. <laughs> we had a few of those. Well, one in particular, and my God, we've talked about this guy before. 
Um, but there was one situation, I think it was in the third quarter, it might have been the second, where uh, centre contest, the ball was hurriedly kicked high into the air towards the wing um, and young Rory Atkins had the opportunity oh. to make the contest, make a contest. He purposely positioned himself so that he was out of the marking contest, even though when the ball was kicked, he was perfectly in the marking contest and then sat back and watched a port player come through and mark the ball. And at that stage, I, if I'd have had a brick in my hand, I would have thrown it through the television because I am so tired of seeing Rory Atkins do that. And I know that he's trying to get more involved in contested play and all the rest of it. But I'm so tired of seeing him squib like that because it just sets an example. And he is now a player who uh, has played enough games that he should be setting example for the younger players. And he ought to be embarrassed by that. He really should be embarrassed by that. It was just a dead set, I don't want to get hurt. Well, talking about Atkins, do you, uh, do you remember the brawl that was on the wing when uh, Fogg's Goons got turned inside out? Yeah. Uh, uh, Atkins ran into the pack into, and he ran into the pack. He actually tackled a cross player around the neck instead of an opponent. And I thought to myself, yeah, that'd be right. Make sure you don't get hurt, you bloody idiot. Look, um, I just... The, the problem with Atkins on the wing... <clears throat> Is that he's he's not a genuine link wing player. He's he's a link player. He actually he doesn't run hard. He's a link player, <clears throat> and we lack explosive pace on the outside. And Atkins isn't the guy to give us that. Atkins is the next guy in the chain, and I actually think that Rory would be better off playing at half forward if we were going to play him. I don't actually think he's he's the right type of player to be on the wing. He hasn't got a it's like he's he's not good in close. He's not good. He lacks composure uh, around the ball. Um, he doesn't have enough explosive pace to be able to break free of contests. I think he's he'd actually the, the he'd actually be a good high half forward if he could take enough marks because he can give a good delivery into the forward fifty. But as a wingman. He actually lets us down, and then when his effort at the ball is like it was that I just described, um, you wonder what he's doing there. I Personally, I'd rather see Rory Sloan on the wing. I've said that for about two years now. Yeah. Oh. The other one, Mac... Sorry, uh, just trying to move it on a little bit. Uh, the other one, Mac, yeah. is Brody Smith. Brody well, Smith... Two pisses in a row. and he, he's, look, I just think he's got to go back to half-back. He's not the answer. He's not doing in the midfield what we were hoping he would. I know he wants to be a midfielder, but, you know, if you're going to be a midfielder, you've got to play and get the stats of a midfielder. Um, to me, I, I just thought he played, again, another fairly useless game. I thought his first one was in round one weeks weeks ago was a stinker, and this one was a mild stinker. Um, and... Uh, for me, I just packed a half pack. For me, for me, with uh, Smith. The, the the problem is, Mac, that we don't we don't have any pace th- through that midfield, so we need someone like a Brody Smith. But I, I think I think the Crows have actually got to make a decision. 
they've actually got to decide what they want to do with him. And and that's probably the same with a couple of blokes. I think Seedsman's in a similar situation where they've got to actually decide where they want to play him. Um, Atkins is another one. I think they've got to decide where they want to play him. And once they've made that decision, they need to stick to it. And if those blokes don't perform in those roles, rather than being shuffled around, they actually need to be dropped. So to me, to me, we've got... 10,000 young halfback flankers, Macca. And the last thing that we need, even though they might perform better there, the last thing we need is Brody Smith and Paul Seisman running off halfback. We've, we need to get Hamill and Scholl and those blokes into the team. And therefore, blokes like Smith and Seisman need to be playing senior roles around the ball and just performing there and, if, and being judged on those performances and being selected or not selected based on their performances in the midfield. If they don't work in the midfield, they don't play, in my opinion. Well, everything you said is true and logical, and, and I can't argue with that because uh, I am a, I'm a G for Hamill and I'm a, a G for Shaw, and I, they, I think they should be given the opportunities. Um, the problem we're going to have is, you said, that they're going to have to perform in whatever role we put them into, which might be midfield, it might be on the wing, it might be half forward. And what we're going to have is a situation is, um, and I think you're right that it has to be done, but the problem with it is going to be is that you're going to have players that could maybe give you more output in if they're playing in the in the certain spot, they're going to give you a lot less output where the other positions that they move to, e.g. into the middle, because um, certainly Smith has not set the world on fire, and I thought Season was absolutely a real dud when he went. He was insipid. He was insipid. He had he offered yeah. us absolutely nothing. I mean, so, the, you're right. And maybe you're right. Maybe you, maybe you know. I, I, for me, I would say with Shoal, I'd like to see Shoal give him a go on the wing. Um, I think you know he's played as a halfback, but I'm, I'm sure he could adapt to the wing. He's got speed and he's a lovely user of the ball. Um, uh, I would like to see Hamill get a game as well because I think that he's going to be part of our future. Um, the trouble we've got is that how much of a chopping block can we be? That's the whole problem. Um, well, no, I, we think, that- I, th- I think, I think, Mac, that having your senior play, like you think about most levels of football, um, and I know that we're talking about professional football, but most levels of football, that it's the senior players and a couple of young guns that form your, your core, your nucleus. You know, your around the ball stuff, your midfield stuff. Now we've got senior players, and we need to get the mix right. But those senior players have to be accountable. They have to be, they have to be carrying the team over the next couple of years while we get games into these young blokes. And as far as I'm concerned, you've got to get the balance in the midfield right. And as we've spoken, having two crouches and a Sloan in there in one rotation is just not the answer. But obviously so, those blokes have to remain in the midfield rotation along with your Chase Joneses and maybe a Ned McHenry and, you know, uh, a couple of others, the keys and that, that are going to run through there and, and perhaps Fogarty occasionally. But those those blokes can't be on a half-back flank or a half-forward flank or, you know, a forward pocket. Those blokes, those senior blokes have to be in the play and they have to be judged for how they perform when they're in the play. They can't be sitting out and picking up 10 or 15 posies 
slacking off on a halfback flag, just getting cheapies, right? They can't. We can't afford to have that the team made up that way. We need to have a blend of youth and experience in each section of the ground, and that means blokes like Smith and Seedsman have to adapt. And if they can't adapt, then then we trade them out because we have to get play, we have to get games into our youth. It's it's vital that we get games into our youth. And Hamill and Scholl and even Gallucci had a reasonable game in the twos by all reports. We've got Jay McAdam that had a good game in the twos. We've got blokes in the twos that have been in the system long enough and they need to be given games. And that means that the senior blokes have to... They deserve games. Yeah. Well, the senior blokes have to then take the responsibility for playing a role that they may not be suited to or used to but they need to play it to the best of their ability to, whilst these, these younger lads get 20, 30, 40 games into them. That's, that's the senior player's role now, right now. Well, of course, they, they won't quite see it that way because um, they, as individuals, they have their own careers that they, they are more interested in and, and that you can't blame them for that. But Is this right. a team sport? Yeah, it's Nikki, a team I, sport. I, I'm halfway through the sentence, Nick. Um, because, but I do agree with Fane that we must give these boys um, uh, a chance, and it might well be though, Fane, is that we, they, the boys coming in may learn their trade at a slightly different position than the no, one. That, no, 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 no. Chase That's Jones sitting on a half forward flank for two thirds no, of the game was an absolute no, no. waste of time. He should be in the middle rotation. But I, I was thinking, like Shoal, for example. I, he could be a potentially a wingman because he's got he's got beautiful pace. He's, he's a lovely deliverer of the ball. Could you develop him, for example, as a wingman? All that does is show that our recruitment is up the up the bloody creek. Well, we know right. it is. If, if it we're is. having to change players from halfback flankers to wingmen or half forward flankers or whatever, it just means that. They've either failed to develop or we've picked the wrong players. And I think, to be perfectly honest with you, Macker, if we're going to get this right, we have to play blokes in the position that they excel at. And if it doesn't work out for them, then we need to move them on. And if it means that a couple of young lads have to compete for a spot like Hamill or Scholl or whatever, then so be mm-hmm. it. So be it. But I don't, un- unless there is a clear. You know, I, I think you're right in terms of Scholl could be a wingman potentially, but unless there is clear evidence of that, unless they've played games in the twos in that position and excelled in that position, then you can't expect them to move into the AFL team and all of a sudden be a wingman if they yeah, played all their all their secondary football in a different position. Because, I mean, we've seen that with Patrick Wilson. We've seen it with Miles Paholke. We've seen it with Jordan Gallucci. We're seeing it right now with Chase Jones. Um, they play out of position, half, across, often across that half-forward line, which is an absolute dead zone. Um, and then they get a game or two and they don't perform because they're not given the opportunity, and then they get dropped. And then they run around in the midfield in the twos, for six weeks and knock up 30 possessions a game, oh, yeah, they're playing well. We'll play them in the A's again and we'll play them on a half-forward flank. It doesn't bloody work that way. But in order to be able to do that, Macca, the senior players have to accept that they're the ones that are going to have to be more versatile. While we well, let, I think you're right. While we in let in these juniors... I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, I think in retrospect you're probably right. 
Anyway, look, let's wrap this up. A couple. I just want to actually talk about our juniors because I really want to focus as much as we can on the positives throughout the year, and I want to keep an eye on the juniors as they come through. It look, and I would still Riley O'Brien still in that category, in my opinion. And yeah. what what I saw of Riley O'Brien, uh, particularly in the first half, he's I think he got a bit tired, but. Getting back into defence, that was Sean Wren. That was fantastic work. I, I really yeah. enjoyed his game, Riley O'Brien. It's got a tick from me. He he had a good game. Yeah, I thought he was our best player. Oh, he was um, head and shoulders. He's actually chest and shoulders above most of our other players, <laughs> um, literally. But <laughs> no, head and shoulders. He was our best player out there. And you you're right that fact, a couple of times he. He was the one midfielder who was actually running hard back when Port were breaking through the midfield, yep. which is why you saw him on some weird matchups trying to be a defender. Yep. Um, but that's yeah, because his, that he, was, the, he was recovering first. Yeah, yeah. And, and he saw the way the play was going to go and yeah. he legged it down there to try and stop them scoring. Yeah. Good point, Nick. Thought he was very good. Uh, Chase Jones, who we've spoken about, was out of position for most of the evening but uh, did well. When moved into the middle, Nick said after the game that he had a bit of a job on Boak, um, and I thought he did pretty well. He only had uh, 13 touches for the game, um, but as we mentioned, uh, 294 metres game, 77% game time. I really hope that Matty just puts Chase into the first mid-rotation. He needs, to, he needs to start the game in the midfield. Yeah, start I him. agree. I Simple. agree. One Crouch, one Jones, and, uh, you know, maybe a Sloan, but not two Crouches. Uh, Nettie McHenry, I thought, uh, was was better for the run, uh, will be better for the run. I th- he got to a lot of ball. Um, I th- think he was surprised by the pace of the game um, and got caught a little bit, made a couple of blues under pressure, but uh, didn't lack for trying, in my opinion. Why don't you go with tick? In the sense, not like saying he's a star player or anything, but you know, you're talking about buying into the game. He bought into the game. Yes. Don't worry about that. Oh, yeah. He was a first game player and he, he bought in 100%. He was a cheeky little bastard. He was stirring the money. <laughs> Yeah, and, I did, did love the umpire saying, well, you instigated it. It doesn't matter if he instigated it. If he gets whacked in the head, that's still a free umpire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. He, he, got, he got the second one. He still instigated the second one, but he got the free that time. Well, what I liked about the kid, he wasn't overawed by the situation one little bit. And if you're playing in our forward line, you were, you were really playing in the wrong wrong. Position, oh, my God. Yeah. Wrong part of the ground. And, yet, you know, I think he, he ended up – how many positions did he end up getting – I uh, got uh, about fourteen or fifteen posies. Well, I reckon that's a great effort in playing your first game in when you get when you're in a team that's getting uh, absolutely thrashed and you're playing up forward. Yeah. Uh, no, I, in the depth now. Yeah, I, I, I thought he added something like a little bit of zip and a little bit of cheek and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I, I think uh, by the end of this season, he might be a very good player for us. Yeah, I, I think so. If he can stay fit, uh, I think he'll uh, he'll be okay. Look, I thought Keys uh, was a bit lost uh, again with the oh. pace of the game. Um, I didn't feel. Look, I really liked yeah. him. I, I like the look of him in the in the preseason, um, like the proper preseason. Um, but I don't know whether he's got enough strings to his bow to be a regular in our midfield. Well, my taking. 
Sorry, I was just going to say, in the proper preseason, we actually got the midfield. That's when we were really mixing up that midfield quite nicely, and he slotted in really well. But unfortunately, as we said earlier, he often got put in when we already had a Sloan in there or we already had one of the Crouchers. He was always in and, a slow mix. And, uh, yeah. And he, and he is no speecher himself. And, uh, and in, in fact, uh, he was... His contribution was pretty useless, to be honest, and uh, and I was one of the ones that uh, was a G for him being included because he, as Fiend said quite rightly, he had a pretty good pre-season and in our uh, trial matches, etc., he stood out that he that he had something to offer, and maybe he has, but he didn't offer very much of it in, uh, against Port Adelaide. And look, he may have over tried too hard, and nothing went right for him. But um, well, again, Macca. Again, when your seniors aren't doing anything and it's left up to you to do stuff as a first year player, I know he's played thirty odd games, but in a, new, in a new in a new system, um, you know it it shouldn't be up to these boys to get twenty five possessions. You know you want to be able to get fifteen quality possessions out of out of a bloke like Keys or Chase. Um, you know, in tandem with your senior midfielders getting quality, you know, twenty five posies. But when your senior players aren't doing that, uh, it's it becomes a bit of a uh, crap shoot, you know, for the younger players. Yeah, and he may well lose his spot on that game. Uh, uh, I think. Uh, well, I think I think they'll have a look at that midfield mix. It, it, you couldn't you couldn't go up to the Gold Coast and put that same midfield mix up. So I think you know. Uh, I think he. I think you're right. He might suffer uh, in that shake-up, but I don't think he'll be the only one. Um, Fisher McCasey, I, as we spoke about, or Maxey, as we spoke about uh, earlier, um, was a bit outgunned by Todd Marshall early, um, but uh, he's you know he's a tall young kid. He needs needs a year in the gym, I reckon just to get some upper body strength and some core strength because he did get pushed off the ball fairly easily. He looks like he should be introduced to it, actually. He's very skinny. Um, but, uh, look, I think we just got to, It doesn't matter if he gets beat every week because we're not going to win any flag. Uh, I think I think we when we have to play him every week and I think sometimes feed will be in the back lines and sometimes it'll be in the forward lines because I just think he's going to be a, a long-term star as a swing player for us. Nick, how do you see Maxi? Yeah, it, it's that similar kind of um, issue we had of that. He just kind of gave that little bit too much space. But you can still see he's getting to the, the right positions. He's reading the play quite well. Um, and that's not something you can teach. That's something you've either got or you haven't. And he's got that. So we can see where he's going to be. Um, and, it, and I'm with Macca and and with you that we've just got to persevere with him and protect him from some of those bad kind of losses in a way. Um, so they've, they've got to carefully look after the mental side of the game for yeah. him. Oh, yeah. um, but I, I think, yeah, keep him in there. Just get him as much experience as possible because yeah. he is absolute quality. Yeah. Benny Crocker uh, didn't get a lot of opportunities. I'm a bit of a um, fan, so probably a little bit biased about Crocker. I'll give it one, uh, yeah. one more. He can't oh. because he never got very many chances. No, but he but he made the most of it. He nearly kicked that you know that quick little soccer off the ground. He hit the post, but you know, really smart thinking. The other one that really impressed me for him 
was the fact of when it was parked in that port um, forward line for quite a bit and it was it was coming out that it was going back in, but he did a massive chase and that tackle yeah. and to hold it up in the forward line, you know, and that desire to do it, that's what you get from Croc um, and I want to see him staying in the team. Mm. Uh, I hope he gets another go. Yeah, I, I really hope that Nick's has a bit of a mantra of, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all, but a bloke giving us that type of effort that you described, and I know the, I know the passage that you're talking about, Nick, um, should not be dropped easily. Uh, you know, And if it, you actually... Yeah, um, if you watch him, the, the little video that they put out of um, him being told that he's in the team, the little bit beforehand is actually from the round one where he wasn't in the team. And one of the interesting things Nick's actually said to him was, we don't need you to win the game off your own boot. We need you to be one of the 22 and that will get us to win the game. So that was obviously, he was he was trying to do a little bit too much yeah, and needs to do a bit more of the team. The the only thing and that I, the only thing I would say that was kind of that. yeah the only thing I would say about Croc is that uh, he's holding a couple of uh, blokes out um, that also probably deserve a run. Uh, Benny Davis was incredibly unlucky. I don't, I you know the fact that that kid's had yeah. two two stints of one game each is a bit of a crime. And I, I actually hope they dropped Tommy Lynch and give Benny Davis a run. Uh, right, yeah, that's, that's the role he plays. Yeah. Um, and I might rather see Ben do it. You know, you've also got uh, Stengel's got to come back. Uh, Shane McAdam's got to get. We've got to have a look at Shane McAdam at some stage. You know, there's one or two others. So, Croc, I, I love his work rate and his endeavour. Um, and he did produce uh, good output in the preseason. So, hopefully, over the next couple of weeks, if he continues to get a run, he can hit the scoreboard a bit and show his value. Because I think having a hard unit and a, and a hard worker like that. Um, who knows where the goals are as well, and can take an overhead mark as well, uh, is pretty valuable as a as a, uh, a, a part of the you know the jigsaw puzzle of our forward line. Um, and Fogarty, um, the only thing that I'll say about Darcy is that we've got to find a way to get him involved because yeah. uh, otherwise he's going to have a bloody aneurysm down forward there, waiting for the ball to come down. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, Nicky's way in the sense that, uh, you know, not long spells on the ball, but just put him in the centre mix there for a few times just to cause a little bit of chaos. Because um, when he went for it, those uh, couple of times that he did go over the ruck, he did, um, as Nicky said, he did give away a free. But um, but at least he was causing for physicality. And uh, I would not be in the, in the mix with that guy chasing me. Oh, God. No. But he's also a bloody good footballer. He is, and I, I just think he's good enough uh, and he's got enough pace uh, and strength to actually play in midfield. So yeah. I, I, I'd like to see him, at this stage, you know, he's not a midfielder, but I'd like to see him get little stints and then just, uh, just gradually learn the trade. Uh, uh, either that, Mac, or I'd like to see him play, I'd like to see him rotate so that he plays a bit of high half forward as well because yeah. he played deep for most of the night and... Um, I, I just feel, the ball just wasn't getting there. Yeah, and I, I just feel like like ninety percent time on ground. We needed to see him up the ground a little bit more at times. We had Tex playing quite high, 
for most of the time, but every time Tex went up for the ball, it was with one hand. Um, I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Oh, he's been doing it for years, Macca. Like he, he's been doing that since he did his knee. He very rarely will let himself go up two-handed, and it, it's almost embarrassing. I don't know how he's been able to get away with doing that for so long, Tex Walker. And to be honest with you, even I know that we were stuck in the back half for much of it, but when he got the ball and he was just mongreling it forward. It just needed to be better than that. It just, it just was. It smacked of someone who was out of ideas. Basically, it was, it was, you know, Divi Five amateur league kind of tactics. And Tex just needed to either hang onto the ball and and wait for some overlap, or just be a bit better with his ball use because it just looked. It, it Tex actually looks like a, an old player who's played one season too long. And like I said. I don't think we'll see him in the side by the end of the season. Sadly, it does look like he's, exactly as you said, um, an ageing player that's gone on one year too long. Um, certainly, uh, this... Eddie Nets. Big, big pun. Yeah, well, Eddie at least kicked three for Carlton, even though he was ageing. Um, but, uh, no, Tex, as you said, like he, it's, I think it's only his right arm he keeps putting up in the left arm. Yeah. Left arm as if it's strapped by his side because he, he never never puts two hands out. So um, the best days of Tex are gone. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you might you might well be right. He could easily be out the side by the end of the year. But the thing is, Mac, the th- how like what do you think about this? I would r- much rather have Tex playing in the forward thirty and just making little explosive leads out of the square and have Fogarty up the ground. Hitting yep. bodies, taking marks, you know, kicking long, all that sort of stuff. I actually think that they've made an error by playing fog deep and Tex up. I think it needs to be the other way around. Because Tex can actually direct fog. He can. And Tex has still got that explosive little five metre. He can get, still yeah. get separation and he only needs five metres and he's still a good, you know, good enough set drop for goal. He still gives us a presence. You know, if, if you've got Tex Walker in the side, you still need a decent player on him. And I just feel like having him up the ground is actually a mistake. I think Fogarty needs to be up the ground and Tex needs to be goal square. 100% with you on that one, Faye. Anyway, look, that was uh, the tail of the tape. Um, probably the, uh, the final stat that uh, needs to be considered. Port Adelaide had 140 six more effective disposals than us for the night. 106. That's just you know, unbelievable. There was one stat which I, I did read that I think summed the game up uh, for our effort or lack of, that I think it was the third quarter they said that Port Adelaide had 15 inside 50s. Yeah. And we never had one defensive tackle. No, that that's quarter. right. Well, we only had tackles inside 50, 13 to 4, and you know, for the game. And, yes, it wasn't in our forward 50 all that much. But... Um, but you've still got to try what it is in there. Yeah, so, look... Not to lay a defensive tackle for a whole quarter yeah, when, the ball, yeah. when the ball's down there all the bloody well, time. Well, and it wasn't only the tackles we didn't make, it's the tackles that we attempted and didn't stick. How many tackles did we not stick? They just brushed us off, you know. And it wasn't just the bloody Travis Bokes. It was Dersmer and, and those blokes that were the young lads that were just brushing us off. 
It's just uh, yeah, for God's sake, who was on Dursma, for example? Yeah, who was on Bloody Butters? You know that. Yeah. Who was on Rosie? Yeah, I don't know. Um, and the last that I'll leave you with uh, metres gained. Um, Port had one thousand four hundred more metres gained for the night than we did. That's a massive <laughs> stat. It's a massive stat, barely, isn't it? I can barely walk that far. <laughs> Anyway, so look, that's the tail of the tape. We have um, Gold Coast next week, don't we? <laughs> a lot of pain. That's yeah. going to be interesting. Um, I think, as I understand it, we're flying up there on the Friday. Is that correct? Yeah, we're spending now, we've got, what is it, four weeks up on the Gold Coast in the hub there? Mm, but I don't think we're leaving until Friday and we're playing them on the weekend. I would say... Um, Going by Gold Coast performance against West Coast and with the players they've got available and the young lads they're firing and uh, with the uh, poor effort we put, I would think that we would try, you know, you'd hope for some rebound in effort. But having said that, I would say that I'm going to pick Gold Coast by seven or eight goals. What do you think, Nick? I think Macca's, I have to agree with him. Yeah, it it sounded to me like Matty Nix was actually looking forward to getting him up to the Gold Coast. It sounds like it's going to be, and I hate to use this word, a bit of a training camp. Um, but I think what he's looking forward to is having the squad eat, sleep and breathe football for the next four weeks um, yeah. because they've got a lot of work to do. Um, you know, clearly... They haven't betted in a game plan. Um, they've got some issues with selection. The only question I'll ask, uh, one of you guys might know, are they taking the whole squad up there or are they just taking like 26 or something? They're taking the whole squad and uh, they'll be playing against the opposition's scratch matches each week. Yeah. Right, okay, that's, good. that's so it, good. So it is all of them. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, I look, I don't know, I I don't read enough into this week's results from the other teams to to put too much weight on Gold Coast's win over West Coast. I think West Coast going over to to Queensland and and having to get themselves situated and all the rest of it logistically would have been a bit of a nightmare. I think you'd see West Coast bounce back against Brisbane next week. Um, but having said that, I still think Gold Coast are on the improve and their young oh. midfield... Um, uh, together with uh, you know one or two guns around the ground, uh, I think I think they might have our measure for the first time in history. Watch Greenwood go bunter. Well, yes, I, I think he'll embarrass us. Um, along with the, I think the young boys will have another another day out. Like the, you know, anybody with pace has a good day out against us. Yeah, well, um, Greenwood hasn't so got pace, but he just keeps getting the ball. Yeah. Look, and you know. We have to remember where we sit. Um, and, you know, Maka, we can have this quick conversation now for the last five minutes of the cast, uh, if you like, because I do think that where we sit now is an indictment on our recruiting over the last three years. Um, yeah. And I do think you're... Look, there, there are two drafts that we really, really missed opportunities. And it's not that we couldn't, it's that we didn't. Um, and that was the rankin Lacocious draft and the Rosie Hately draft. Um, that's, that's all the same year. Is it? That's all the, yeah, that's all the one year. Oh, yeah, same you're year. right. Sorry. <laughs> How am I going? How am I going? So there's, so there's four players that we could have, but we didn't. I mean, I mean that was the, you, you think about it, um, what Port Adelaide did. 
they, they, they've unloaded. Um, uh, well, um, um, uh, Wingard and Pollock. That's it. That Pollock was the one I was struggling to remember. Pollock and Wingard, who there were. Pollock was their uh, number one ball getter virtually that year that he yeah. got uh, traded out. Um, but he was never going to win them a game and win win them a, a final. And um, Wingard was too interested in playing Fortnite, and uh, uh, he wasn't as fit as he should have been. But they are big name players, big name players, and they yeah. traded them out. Now, yeah. if we go to the end of uh, 2017, um, well, sorry, 2018, sorry, if we had traded out Jenkins at the end of 2018, we would have got a very good draft pick for yep. him. And the and other players that we let go for a bag of beans, we would have got much better draft picks. We could have dominated that draft, and we could have had, then had it the ammunition to get into the right position to get the good players. But you know, I'm not saying that Jones and McHenry are no good. I'm just saying that Port Adelaide did so much better than us, and they started from behind us, and that was a a big credit to them and a big negative to us. We just blew it. Well, the the my my biggest issue is having missed out on Luco and Rankin. We should have gone all in on Rosie. Every man and his dog had, could see. Had to. Had every to. man oh, and his dog completely. could see that that um, he was going to be a champ. And to to be honest, I think Rosie will end up being like. Even though who was it? Um, the Carlton lad, Walsh. Um, you know, Walsh, he, yeah, yeah, he he was seen as uh, not in the same class. Yeah, uh, I, I I reckon Rosie will be the the, the pick out of, out of that draft in in a hundred games time. Um, the next net five. And the, and the simple the simple fact is that we had enough currency to be able to get that done, and we just weren't proactive enough. And and there's been a couple of years now where we just haven't been proactive enough, um, and also courageous enough in my view. And I think that. You know, we, we've spoken a lot about that analyst guy who used to be there, who I'm sure isn't there anymore. Uh, the, was, yeah, um, you know, and, and Hamish, and I think they spend a lot of time looking for value um, mid draft, and that's reasonable. Um, but I think at times over the last couple of years, our recruiting team may have just gotten a bit too cute with their selections. Um, I agree, yeah. And I don't, I don't think you should go into a draft thinking that you're going to um, recruit two two small midfielders like um, Jones and, and McHenry. Two small midfielders with our with our first two picks that year was was horrific. It shouldn't have happened. And Gallucci, nobody but us rated Gallucci as a first round pick. Um, and as it turns out, we were wrong. Because as far as much as Gallucci has shown flashes, clearly he hasn't got the mental capacity to be an AFL footballer. So yeah, him, it's mental, mental, not physical. Yeah. Well, the jury's still out, Mac, because he hasn't he he hasn't been uh, he hasn't been considered in a midfield role. He, he's another bloke that if he's actually still checked in to the Adelaide Football Club. He's another one that has to come in and play midfield minutes, not half-forward minutes, not full-pocket minutes. He has to come in and play midfield minutes. We recruited him as a first-round draft pick as a midfielder. So for the love of God, play him there. Um, I keep going back to that Carlton game. 
I know Carlton were witches hats, but we played him in the midfield and oh my god. Yeah. He was outstanding. Because he so, can virtually, he's got speed and he's a beautiful kick either foot. Yeah, so, uh, that's and right. And he's also a really good vertical jump and he's a great pair of hands. Yeah. We've got, uh, ironically, if, if, he got gets 12, if he gets 12 possessions, it's probably worth more than the 25, 26 the Crouches again. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, Miles Baholk is another one. You know, Miles has struggled a little bit to get the pace of the game and he's a bit of a, a tweener in terms of his size. But we recruited him as a midfielder. And for the love of God, we need to play him as a midfielder. None of this half-forward crap, you know. He's a bloody good midfielder in the SNFL. Yeah. He's never had a fair go, that bloke. You know, and had a a good game by all reports in the twos. So um, let's hope that that's the case. Um, But I I think you're right, Mac. I think our recruiting last year, it just felt really hollow in that, in that year, uh, Rosie's year, it felt that really hollow that we went from being in the conversation for Lacocious and Rankin to ending up with not one South Australian out of that draft. You know, we had Lacocious and Rankin go north. Rosie goes to west uh, to Port Adelaide. Haitley goes up north. Uh, who was the other? Valenti went to the state captain, went to Western Australia, I think. Um mm-hmm. You know, there were a couple of others in that draft as well. Out of all this, it's the best crop of South Australians that we've had for I don't know how many years, and we didn't make it a priority to get one of those kids. Not one. Well, you know, yeah, we, in fact, uh, we actually drifted our, our, our draft picks outwards rather than uh, inwards. Mm. In, yeah, uh, well, it's, and we just look. The club is its own worst enemy at times. There's no doubt about that. And I think, you know, it starts at getting players in the first place and it start, the next thing is at coaching and developing and it's been giving them the opportunity. And I think we've failed in all those areas so far. And, uh, and look, I feel so sorry for Matthew Nix because all that he, what he's trying to do now is play with what's left of all the bad things that have been done over the last few years. Yeah. But, you know, hopefully he's got a mandate to actually, um, um, you know, get things sorted because, uh, as it stands at the moment, uh, he's got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of well, work to do. At, if you look at the game and say, Jesus, he can't coach, but then you, you go into it very deeply and see what he's got to work with and you have to say, Jesus, I wouldn't like his job. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've gone an hour and a half, so we should wrap it up. Okay. It is the Sunday wrap show, after all. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Look, it's been good to get back in on the Sunday wrap. Um, Thanks to everyone who's joined us. Uh, And uh, hopefully next week we'll have all our graphics back, which will be nice. We'll actually uh, actually have something to show you instead of just rabbiting on for a couple of hours. But, uh, look, never mind. Uh, Such is life. Until then, uh, make sure you get around uh, the Crowject 2 Crows. who else is there? Sensible's not around anymore, but there's plenty of other Crows podcasts to get your ears around, and we will be back next Sunday night at 7pm, uh, hopefully uh, chatting away after a good rebound win. Until then, everyone, good night. Yep, good night all. Good night all.